Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is episode 99 of the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. Ooh, 99, that's an exciting number. I know. And today we're talking about Mad Tokyo, Travel with an Expat. As you might have heard, the Indie Travel Podcast was named Best Podcast in the Lonely Planet Blog Awards 2009, which we're so excited about. And we'd really appreciate it if you'd be excited too and tell your friends so we get more listeners. <laughs> yeah. This episode of the Indie Travel Podcast is sponsored by WorldNomads.com. World Nomads provides great value global travel insurance. You can buy, extend, and claim online, even if you're already traveling. All policyholders also get free travel blogs, safety advice, and language guides for your iPod. WorldNomads.com. Keep traveling safely. Today we're speaking with Anna Dagen from Tokyotopia.com. She walks us through life in Tokyo as an expat her experiences moving from the UK, and the difficult visa application process. We talk about... Arriving in Tokyo, getting from the airport into the city. The language barrier. English isn't widely spoken, but people are generally helpful. Exploring historic and backstreet Tokyo. Climbing Mount Fuji and day trips from Tokyo. So Tokyo, in my opinion, is such a mad city. There just seems to be so many people. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's roll the interview. Well, I'm speaking with Anna Dagen from Tokyotopia.com, Tokyo Made Simple. Um, Anna, thanks for coming on the Indie Travel Podcast. Thanks for inviting me, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it should be good. So we're going to be asking you about expat life in Tokyo and what to do as a tourist or a traveler coming into Japan. So first of all, can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to end up living there. Sure. Um, basically, I mean, I, w- I was born in the UK. I grew up there and I left when I was 29 years old. Um, basically, I trained to be a, a primary school teacher in the UK um, and I, I, I love teaching, but I guess I kind of got fed up of all the administrative side of it that's required in the UK and I, I felt like I wasn't teaching. I was just managing a class. So I looked at various options and I I ended up working teaching um, the unemployed in the UK for a while. But I'd always wanted to travel and I started to explore those options and Japan was a place that kept coming up. And then I I was actually working with a guy um, who'd just returned from Japan and was looking for work. And we, we were talking and he was saying, you know, what do you want to do? And I I talked about my ideas about going overseas. And he's the one who was like, you've got to go to Japan. He lived here for five years. He also lived in Tokyo. And so I guess I have to thank him for actually coming out, for choosing here, should I say, as the place that I came to. And what was it like kind of transitioning as someone from the UK? Was it easy enough to get the necessary visas and get settled? Um, it's not. It's. I, I think Japan is one of the harder places uh, initially. If you, I, I came when I was 29, and at that time the UK didn't have a, um, a working holiday visa anyway for Japan but besides that I mean I was almost out of time because I think the working holiday visas cut off at 30 right now uh, if you are under 30 there is a working holiday agreement I believe with the UK um, same with Australia same with New Zealand mm-hmm. yeah. and Canada I believe um, 
but for myself, the, the process, you when you apply for the visa, um, it's actually, you have to get something called a certificate of eligibility first, which you have to have an employer who's going to sponsor you, who to who will then get you that certificate of eligibility and you then submit that as the visa application process. So first time around, it can be quite difficult because you must have an employer who's willing to sponsor you. Um, but there are ways into the country. I, I wanted to continue with teaching anyway. That's that's what I'd always done. Um, and a lot of the schools here, the bigger schools, will sponsor you from overseas. Cool, yeah. It's that, I think it's a problem with working visas in most places in the world. You need to get a job before you can get a job. Yes, exactly. And I think one thing I would say is if, to anyone, if you do come out here and you come to a school, even, even if your intention is to move on, like usually the contracts are for one year. Please do the contract <laughs> because it, it really screws the schools over if if people leave after three months or whatever. Uh, so they've sponsored you. Just stay for the year. Then you can choose whatever you want to do. Yeah, a good recommendation there. So you've been working in Tokyo for some time and you know it well enough to put together an, a quite a large website about it at Tokyotopia. Can you tell us maybe a little bit about what someone could expect if they're arriving, say, as a tourist or they've managed to get work at a school or on a working holiday visa? They fly into Narita and what? What's next? Yeah. Um, Narita Airport actually is not that big an airport, so it's relatively easy to negotiate. There's only two terminals. They're very close together. It's all connected by bus. So if you need to transfer between at all, it's easy. Um, in terms of getting into Tokyo, let's say, I mean, it's, we're talking about Tokyo here, so I'll just focus on that. Um, the, the airport itself is actually about an hour to an hour and a half away from Tokyo city centre. You're actually not in Tokyo, you're in the next prefecture, which is Chiba, to the north. Um, so you need to get yourself into Tokyo. There's a number of ways to do it. Uh, perhaps the two most popular routes, there's something called the airport limousine bus, which literally, if as you come out and you're in the arrivals hall, the doors straight ahead of you lead to the airport limousine buses and they're bright orange. You can't miss them. And in English, it says airport limousine bus. There's also a desk inside just by the doors before you go out and they can help you in English. Um, I don't know about other languages, but for sure, English, they, they can help you. Mm -hmm. um, English isn't always the best here. If you are willing to, you know, sometimes you may need to gesture or, you know, be a little bit, I don't know, get into the role, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, you, 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 you will be able to communicate and people will help you. I think that's the thing I would stress more than anything, even if they can't maybe communicate that well with you they will do their best to help you even if it means going to get someone else mm, one thing i've seen on a lot of kind of travel sites and wikis is that japan especially is a place where it's difficult to find english speakers and that really puts some people off 
who are maybe not that adventurous or are worried. But in general, is Tokyo a reasonably friendly place for travellers? I, I think so. I mean, in terms of if you're a relatively confident person, then don't worry about it. Uh, you, most signs are in English. So if you're getting on the trains, the, the, the station signs are in English. There will be maps with English on. Uh, a lot of shops now use some form of English. Now, English may not be spoken, but you can figure out enough from what you can read. Um, I think the biggest the biggest thing that happens with people when they first arrive is you go into that perhaps panic mode. Mm-hmm. So instead of actually stopping, like just stop, stop where you are and, and just see what's around you. You know, just take a couple of minutes, time out and figure out what's going on. Pe- people start that panic and then it's all oh my, you know, what am I going to do and... So I think if you just take those few minutes, don't worry about it. Just see what's going on around you. Check out the signs and it will all start to fall into place. Now, when I think of people going to Tokyo, I think about huge shopping malls. I think about karaoke and I think about the crazy fashions in some of the districts. (laughs) Um, That's people's stereotypical view of Tokyo. And I'm sure that's what all of the guidebooks are full of. Can you help us get... Get beyond that. Get beyond the cliches. Mm, I think, uh, for me, the history of Tokyo says a lot because Tokyo is a city that's evolved. So it used to be lots of little villages. And over time, as this area became popular, uh, the, the shogun Put it, made his home here. It started to grow, and the villages started to grow. And basically, they ran into each other, and that's how Tokyo was formed. The, it became this big melting pot of lots of little villages that all joined together. And I think if you if you go beyond kind of the the, the main roads, if, if you just stick to the main roads, you're going to see exactly what you just said. But if you go to some of the more local areas, just go walking around the streets. That, that for me, is the best way to get a handle on what real life is like in Tokyo. Um, it's, it's not all big shops. The, the best shopping is often done on the side streets, the more local shops. And just go and have a wander around. And uh, if you get up early in the morning, you can see the local tofu shop guy. I mean, he'll be up at 4 a.m. or whatever. Oh, I won't see him. But uh, And then, of course, I mean, everybody knows about Skiji, but yes, you can go to the fish market. Uh, it's called Ski, Skiji. Um, if you want to see kind of the, the auction style. And that is real life. I mean, that's, that's their business. I mean, it's a privilege, really, that we're allowed in there to see it. Mm. Um, unfortunately, recently, there were some incidents in there that closed it. I was going to uh, say, is, was, it, is it being reopened to the public now? It has. It has. It reopened on January the 19th. Mm. It's a so shame that a, a couple of drunk idiots can kind of shut it shut it off, but it yes. is big business. Yes. I mean, they're selling fish in there that's worth more than most most of our listeners' cars. I know. It's amazing. that It is amazing. If, if you have the opportunity to go, it's a great atmosphere. 
So how about the nightlife in Tokyo? Is it all really karaoke and gaming machines, or are there they're more traditional? Well, not really traditional, but are there, there are other things to do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like most big cities, there's a little bit of everything if you know where to find it. Um, karaoke is massive. I mean, you'll find it anywhere you go. But one of, one of my favorite things is to go to uh, something called a local izakaya. And izakaya, basically, it, it, it's a pub. It's but Japanese, a Japanese-style pub. So... If you think of a, for me, coming from Britain, pubs are popular. It's quite different from a British pub. Uh, you, you, as you walk inside, there's uh, usually a, a cash register and someone working on the cash register. And then there'll be staff running around all over the place, especially if you go on a Friday and Saturday night when it's really busy. Uh, but there's lots of tables um, kind of set set out and people will sit in their groups. So it's, it's usually people, you know, some couples too, but often there'll be groups of like 10, 20 people, everybody going out together. Um, sometimes, you know, one table is a group of salary men. They've gone out after work. Maybe they've got a client with them and it's part of their social, uh, kind of socializing with him. At another table, you'll have a group of students. Uh, at another table, maybe a group of expats or whatever. Uh, but it's a really social scene. And you, as you walk in, you just hear people talking and laughing and you can have food, you can drink. You go at your own pace. It's it's really good night out. Cool. Well, that's another big critique of Tokyo as a travel destination is its expense. There's no doubt. I mean, it can be expensive. It 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 depends on where you go. I mean, if you stick to the mainstream, big shops, big hotels, etc., then yes, it's going to be expensive. Um, but in in, if we just talk about accommodation for a second, um, there are guest houses, there are hostels, um, there's something called a ryokan, which is a Japanese inn. The, these options are cheaper, and you can find them all online. Um, so, I mean, accommodation per night, if you're staying in a place like that, you can expect to pay maybe between five to 10,000 yen a night. Now, how that converts right now, <laughs> seeing as the currencies are all over the place, is difficult. But uh, I guess you're looking at around maybe four, 30, between thirty to fifty dollars per night. Okay, so it's not the that's, cheapest. That's US dollars. It's yeah, yeah. You 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 can do that. Mm. Um, in terms of eating. Uh, lunchtime is a great time. You can get a lot of set menus for a thousand yen or less. And you can usually eat as much as you want. So if you want to kind of fuel up for the day, the, lun the lunchtime is a great time to get out there and, and really stock up. A lot of the guest houses also have like a small kitchen. So if you don't want to go to the expense of eating out, you, you know, you, you can go to the local supermarket. Um, you'll, you'll recognize enough stuff in there so that you can cook for yourself if you want to. Great. So um, if I had, say, a week in Tokyo, uh, where should I base myself and what kind of things would you recommend I see? Mm. 
in terms of where where to stay, I I would choose somewhere like in the area of Shibuya or Shinjuku, somewhere that's fairly central that lets you get around easily on the train. Um, the, the, the Yamanote line is the line that it's basically a loop that goes around the city. So you've got Shibuya, Shinjuku, Ikibukuro, Ueno, uh, Shinagawa and Tokyo Station are kind of dotted around that line. And you, you can choose any of those areas and I think Ueno probably has the cheapest in terms of accommodation options the range of cheap accommodation options um, in terms of what to do, there's many things to do <laughs> yeah, too many for a week huh? <laughs> mm, I think one place to go and see would have to be Asaksa, I mean it is in the guidebooks but I would recommend it. It's it's a it's a fun day out, but it's also it's it's the oldest part of the city, or the the internal part of the city, and it still has uh, Sensoji Temple, which is a big temple. Um, it has uh, Buddhist and Shinto elements uh, around it, um, and many of the big festivals go on there. So, if you come to Japan when there's a festival on, if you go to Asakusa the Asakusa area, you'll be able to see that, that festival in action. If you're not sure where, to, where else to go, go to Asakusa. Um, other things to do, one of my favorite areas, this is a local area, so forgive me, but if you, on, the, on that Yamanote loop line I was just talking about, there's a station called Megaro at, at the south end of the line. And if you take the, the Tokyo Megaro line for two stations south uh, from Megaro Station, you get to a little station called Musashi Koyama. And that's got the longest... They call it a shopping mall. It's got the longest shopping mall in Japan. or well, that's what I've heard anyway. Uh, but it's not a mall as I think of a mall. It's basically this huge long corridor and there's just lots of little tiny, uh, there's some mum and pop type uh, stores, there's local shoe shops, there's local, like if, you, uh, if you're interested in any of the Japanese plates and what they use in the kitchen, all this kind of stuff, there's loads of little shops down there and it's great just to have a wander around. Mm, excellent. And um, how about climbing Mount Fuji? It seems to be the thing to do and the thing not to do all at the same time. If you want to climb Mount Fuji, uh, you don't have to be particularly fit. As long as you're used to walking around, etc., you should be okay. Um, that you can only officially do it two months of the year. I, I believe it's two months of the year. It's July and August. Um, and if it's only open during those times and the reason being i mean it, it, it's it's a high mountain so a lot of the year it's covered in snow as it is now I mean, it would be dangerous to try and climb it now so it's it's off limits um usually people go to what they call the fifth station and you, you can get a bus or whatever up there and then you walk from there to the top um the the worst thing, I think, is if you get to the top and you manage to get up there when it's a cloudy day, because then you don't see anything. But it is—it's—it's it's fantastic to, if if you see the views from the top. 
Um, it's well worth doing. It's something that all Japanese people try to do once in their life. Mm-hmm. So what other day trips are available from Tokyo? What would you recommend if I was going away maybe just for a day or to go overnight somewhere? One of my favorite places is a little area called Hakone, uh, which is part of Fuji Five Lakes District. Um, it's, the, it's centered around one of the lakes uh, at the base of Mount Fuji, uh, and there's lots of activities you can do around there. They've got a pirate, but if you've got kids, they've got a pirate boat that goes across the lake. Um, there's cable cars that take you uh, by by cable cars, I mean kind of the ropeway mm-hmm. cable cars, and you go up and kind of across the the sulfur ground, so you can see the volcanic ground, and you can jump off uh, at one of the stations, Owakudane, I think I can't remember the name exactly. It's something like Owakudane, and um, you can help yourself to some eggs that are boiled in the sulfur water that it's cooked on the mountain it's it's just it's a fun place to go uh they've also got a great outdoor art museum there so if you're into art there's sculpture there's there's lots of activities there for kids as well so if, if you do have children um and there's other museums around there. There's also part of the old Shogun route that you can go and follow along if you want to. So, and, and again, there's lots of access in English here, information available in English. Cool. Well, Anna, thank you very much for your time and thanks for coming on the Indie Travel Podcast. Thank you, Craig. If you're after more information on traveling in Tokyo, you can visit Honor's site, tokyotopia.com, which is full of practical information. And of course, we'll link to that from the show notes at indietravelpodcast.com. Thanks again to our sponsors, worldnomads.com. At worldnomads.com, you can choose to support a Footprints community development project when you purchase your travel insurance online. This is an innovative scheme which we really love. worldnomads.com. Keep traveling safely. And if you click through the World Nomads links on Indie Travel Podcast, you'll notice that you can have quotes for the whole world and the whole world plus the USA and Japan. Uh, The higher prices for Japan reflect the extremely high cost for medical care there, which is something else you might want to consider when you're going to Tokyo. Speaking of Asia, I'd like to mention the Where There Be Dragons Mekong River Student Program, which is run by Tim Patterson. We know Tim as a a travel writing friend. He's one of the editors at the Matador Network, and he's running um, a very rugged adventure learning program for students in the Mekong area. So um, you'll follow the river from up, up, up in the Himalayan glaciers in China down into Laos, and um, you'll be doing study and travel, and it's not your typical five-star kind of travel program. Sounds like fun, though. It does. It sounds like awesome fun. So I'm sure you guys will be really into it. Um, Last week, we also met up with Sean Keener. Now, he's one of the co-founders of Boots and All. And um, here's a little snippet from him. Hey, we're here today on the south bank of Melbourne with uh, Linda, Graham, Brandy, and, of course, Indie Travel Podcast, Craig Martin. And we just had a beautiful lunch of uh, messy mussels weird pizza and uh tofu hippie food and uh we're having a lot of fun enjoying a beer together putting a face to a twitter name and so uh you know we're building a friendship here and uh, these guys are just crazy crazy travelers i just i'm I'm gonna be following their journeys throughout life here 
the next five, ten years, it sounds like it's a never-ending trip for Linda and Craig. So cheers to you both. Have a great, great trip, and uh, great to, I'm, glad, I'm glad we got a chance to meet. So cool. And on that happy note, yeah, happy Easter cheers. to those of you who celebrate it, or at least have enjoyed the days off. I always enjoy the days off. And until next week, travel well.